grab your onions, Patrice Ranti, because this podcast will change the way you think about a pulpectomy. You will probably do way less extirpations and committing to a root canal. And this episode will really challenge our beliefs that we hold in terms of what requires a root canal treatment, i.e. we were trained that irreversible pulpitis equals pulpectomy, which is a root canal, right? Now, that's what I was taught too. But what is happening now in endodontics is brilliant. And George explains it really well with his lovely German accent. We go over the fact that nowadays, whenever a patient comes to George with irreversible pulpitis, that, you know, severe throbbing ache, it does not mean root canal for him anymore. It means a pulpotomy of the permanent tooth. It means a pulpotomy of a vital permanent tooth, which then hopefully will preserve that ridiculous pulpal tissue. And therefore the patient will not require a root canal treatment anymore. So it's pretty different. Now, maybe you're already seasoned in this. Maybe you're already using MTAs and whatnot. And that's amazing, good for you. But for a lot of dentists, I imagine this is like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? We don't have to do, commit to a root canal anymore. Like we can, we can actually do a popotomy for an adult, let alone one that we have diagnosed as quote unquote, irreversible pulpitis, which actually George argues is, is a poor term. Welcome, Patrice Rati. I'm Jazz Galati. I'm your host. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. It's great to have you. If you're a veteran and you've been with me for many years, it's always a pleasure to have you. This one's a really cool episode. I didn't think before I recorded it that I would be having so many moments of laughter with our guest, George Benjamin, who, whilst not a specialist in Germany, he is a pretty much limited to endodontics. And he's been following vital pulp therapy or pulpotomy of vital adult teeth for a long while now. Uh, and he's got some great views on it. And if you listen to the end, we say some very controversial things about certain groups in dentistry. So I apologize to my friends if I offended you. It was all a little bit in jest, but a little bit serious at the same time. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you today is, and, I, and I'm really hoping I haven't shared this one with you already before, but it is. How do you test for objective anesthesia? So as you know, guys, I'm a big fan of buccal articane infiltrations for lower first molars and even lower second molars. If I'm doing a root canal or a crown or a large restoration, I am no longer reaching for an ID block. I am doing a buccal infiltration with articane. I've got a video on YouTube showing exactly how I do it. And I get about 90% success rate with this. And I say there's easy patients and then there's difficult patients, the difficult ones being the thick bone and whatnot. And yeah, probably success is 80% with those guys but more normal anatomy, then I'm probably getting 95%. So if you balance it out, it's about 80, 90% success rate. Uh, and so one thing I started to do to really make sure my patient is, is super numb is instead of subjective, instead of asking the patient, are, are you feeling quite numb? Is that is that really numb? It's much better to be objective. So I get some endofrost. So minus 50 degrees on a cotton pellet and I put it on tweezers and I press it onto the tooth and I leave it there for about 10 seconds and hopefully the patient will feel nothing at all. Now that for me gives me so much more assurance that that tooth doesn't require a supplemental anesthetic. It does not require an inferior alveolar nerve block. Uh, and that's worked really well for me. So in those times where I put the cold on and after about six seconds, they say, you know, I just, I just feel a little bit, I either give a little bit more articane into the gingival tissues, subperiosteal region, or I might even in a, in, a, in a tricky patient, give an ID block at that stage. So it really helps me in my decision making. 
So next time you're not sure, do a objective test by putting endofrost on the tooth and just seeing the response before you start your therapy. Now, by this point, usually I already have rubber dam on and it's the last thing I do before I then continue my treatment because most of the times they won't feel the endofrost anymore. This episode is brought to you by Enlightened Smiles, the good guys, Payman Langrudi at Al, who support this podcast so dearly. Thank you so much. I love using Enlightened Whitening. I'm getting great results from my patients. They got some awesome trays and their gel is always fresh. And of course, if you want some training, you have to check out the, the one hour webinar that Payman does. As always, it's in the link section. It's also on the YouTube for the freemium version. And if you've not already downloaded the app, the Protrusive app, oh my God, we're getting so much traction. We're getting so much good vibes on the community section and the exclusive content is just going to blow your mind. The amount of things I've got planned for it is going to be amazing. So if you haven't downloaded Protrusive app yet, what are you waiting for? Download it. Let's join George Benjamin to discuss vital pulp therapy, aka pulpotomy for adult teeth. No more irreversible pulpitis. George Benjamin, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm fine. Great to finally be on a different podcast as well. Well, it's, for those who don't know, uh, George is a host of uh, his uh, podcast, which is mostly in German, I believe. Uh, tell us, you, you've been podcasting way longer than I have. Tell us about your podcast in, in Germany and what kind of topics you cover. Basically, I started podcasting in 2016, which is now basically ages ago. Uh, and actually, I remember in 2018, everybody in the podcast environment was talking about, oh, we reached podcast peak. It's over now. It won't uh, rise anymore. And I was basically inspired by the dental hex podcast basically the american podcast which is now a very dental podcast they're kind of split up but ellen mead is still doing it and i was uh, kind of surprised how americans talk openly on their podcast uh, about certain things like oh well i got everyone in my team an ipad i mean they're just a thousand dollars so i got 10 <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a very american thing to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> things you would never hear on a german podcast it was like yeah yeah, talk to my text advisor and after that we found a way to make it work yeah well i well at least my uh, podcast is called the saure zähne dental podcast actually the name uh, wasn't very seo anything we just start started uh, enjoying the dental hacks uh, and started our own podcast and actually we were the first German dental podcast for other dentists and it was it's a really good networking tool I mean uh, who should I tell you that uh, I see uh, saw how you grow with your podcast you now even have an app which is really great and the networking part is so good I just can encourage everyone to start a podcast today there are so many podcasts about how to start it and how to present yourself I'm, I started just uh, without anything. I just started without a name at first and started recording. It was so much fun. I can really uh, recommend it to everyone. Amazing. For those who, who want to listen to a German dental podcast, check out yours. I can't even pronounce it, but it's, it, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing that you are so dedicated. And I'm sure every, every dentist in Germany probably knows your podcast. Uh, today, we're going to do this in English, guys. Don't worry. Be reassured. We're going to do an English podcast today uh, on vital pop therapy. As you, in, the, in, in our preamble, our pre-chat, you just as vital pulpotomy for adults because dentists are more likely to be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, I, can, I can visualize what that means. So before we get into that, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Are you limited to endodontics? Are you an endodontist or do you just love endodontics? 
It's very interesting. Basically, in UK terms, I'm a general dentist, but I spend most of my time with endodontics. That means uh, now I recently opened my office, I have a, a scope, a CBTC, so everything you need today uh, for uh, endodontics. But actually, when I graduated in 2010, I basically didn't have any, uh, or when I heard this term pulpotomy of teeth, I was only thinking about milk teeth and never heard about anything else. It was really interesting when I was a young dentist at my first dental job i was in an office in a rural area close to berlin but there were like two dental offices in a town of 10,000 people and there were really we had so many patients it was crazy i mean after two weeks uh, all my afternoons are already fully booked it's like uh, the best start for a young dentist and we had an interesting approach to pain treatment if someone came in with a, a reversible pulpitis and the pain treatment was basically very simple because we didn't have a lot of time it was a, a full popotomy and we basically just placed a cotton pellet on it with ledamex which is like an antibiotic steroid mix which is very popular in Germany and covered it in Kevit and we called the patients on the next day just to see if they're fine if we should need and root canal treatment or if the whole thing brought us time and actually it surprised myself a lot how much time this actually gave us and when we started to do the root canals later on it was quite usual that the pulp was still vital in the root canals and it was basically mm. we had to do an anesthesia rubber dam of course and it was pretty much uh, standard endo and i was always chatting with my boss back then it was dennis dennis how come if this this pulp cells in there are still vital we need them how come we don't can't place anything on it like mta so so we don't need to do the endodontic treatment and you know back then it was like if it's an universal pulpitis it's no way out completely it's a one-way mm -hmm, street mm -hmm. and this is how which, I was which George you know that everyone who's listening so far I mean not everyone but I'd say 98% of the, uh, our colleagues the producerati listening right now probably think the same as what I thought as well which is when you diagnose irreversible pulpitis well, that's it I mean, that's the end of the line for the tooth. It needs a root canal if it's even possible, right? Yeah. And basically, maybe the terminology is wrong. <laughs> not saying mm. that it's not very easy terminology. It's a reversal. reversal. We, we don't have to do it. If it's irreversible, we have to do it. But if it would be have a different name and wouldn't have the name irreversible, that it's one-way street, we might think different. But let's be honest. It's very uh, easy diagnostic tool to say, that's the street we take here, that's uh, the street we take there, and uh, it's fine. And basically, I did some endodontic continuous indication, and I met Martin Trope, who uh, basically showed us a really nice study from a guy uh, called Mr. Bogan from the US, an endodontist, who basically treated young molars of young uh, children, basically, with full um, removal of uh, decay. He called it direct pulp capping with MTA. But basically, when I look at the clinical picture, it was basically a partial pulpotomy because he really removed all the decay, nicked the pulp a couple of times, just placed MTA on it, and it worked. And the thing is, you know, okay, it's one study, let's see, but his recall rate was 97%. Yeah, it's like wow. enormous. Uh, Martin Trope was joking that a private de detective was hired to get this recall rate. <laughs> and and I, uh, unfortunately, George Bogan couldn't attend the last German endodontic society meeting due to some restrictions because I wanted to ask him that. 
But with these results in mind, I kind of started in a different office where it had a more endodontic focus to treat these cases. And uh, I remember one case where basically everything went wrong, Jess. Yeah, seriously, everything. Yeah, it was a deep cavity. I saw it on the x-ray before. I basically knew that... Uh, some some partial popotomy is better than a direct pulp cap due to the literature which is out there on these topics and mm -hmm. i did a partial popotomy placed oh, before you progress with this course let's just paint a picture how old was the patient and what was your pulpal diagnosis before you okay. started yeah basically uh, the patient was maybe in the mid-30s an adult my uh, diagnosis was basically in reversal propieties because the patient didn't have any pain and i, I want clarity Re reversible or irreversible i, I couldn't no. hear it it was reversible papitis. Yeah. Reversible, yeah. okay. We just imagine you see uh, deep carriers close to the pulp and you'd be like, okay, the tooth is vital. The patient doesn't have a, a lot of pain, but we need to treat that tooth, that's pretty sure. And I basically entered uh, the tooth, did a partial popotomy, placed my MTA. And back then I basically had a two-step approach where I first placed the MTA, did a temporary filling and recalled the patient to see if the MTA has set. And when I was placing the temporary filling, which was cavit at this time, I basically suddenly saw how the blood from the pulp came out. And mm -hmm. I would say, okay, this will not gonna work at all because I'm out of time. I can't do anything anymore. It is how it is. And maybe she will be there for, for as a pain patient the next day, but she didn't come at us all. And you know, mm -hmm. if the patient doesn't come up, you basically already know what happens. <laughs> you went somewhere mm -hmm. else in Berlin at least. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. um, basically the patient came back, I, I think a month later because the temporary filling fall off and basically the MTA on it was hard. And since it was a partial palpotomy, I could do my cold test and the tooth reacted normal. And I mm -hmm. just placed my composite on it and that's it. And then I kind of realized maybe I didn't trust the pulp too much things. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't have faith. I didn't have faith at all in the pulp. I mean... I kind of like most what, of us, right? If yeah. you expose, especially if it's carriers, yeah. like you know, you're going to think, okay, Mrs. Smith, you need to have a, a root canal treatment for sure. So I, I don't think that's surprising. I think most of us would. I think there's a real paradigm shift for us. Yeah, it's it's a paradigm shift, and actually now there's new literature uh, out of which it makes it easier. Back then it was eight years ago. This is how we noticed that we are actually old jazz. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you know, back then. Whenever you had such a treatment, you should always say it was a reversal papitis because it still wasn't really allowed in an irreversible way, kind of, you know. But the interesting part is actually there's this term called vital pulp therapy. And it's actually I sometimes a bit misleading because vital pulp therapy could mean anything. It could mean mm. an indirect pulp cap, a direct pulp cap, a partial pulp therapy, a full pulp therapy. At the last ESE meeting, I even learned the term mini pulp therapy, which is interesting. But I like this term. It's from a British guy. I forgot who. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And basically, I'll focus pretty much on the popotomy part because it's the more interesting part. Okay. Before you get to that, George, mm. I, I just want to like pass back to that case that you mentioned, that lady who you had this positive experience where you thought that, okay, she's going to come back in pain or it's going to go necrotic and it was fine. Eight years on now, have you, do you still see this lady? Have you seen her? Is everything still okay? Actually, with this woman, I didn't saw her again. <laughs> I saw her husband, but she also had like an 
really bad root canal treated teeth which needed retreatment and she didn't like my fee behind it so she never came back but i know that she was fine for quite some years but uh, i started recalling and documented these cases after that actually because it uh, has gotten a bit more interesting Mm -hmm. and with that case um for the younger dentist listing and which everyone actually when you had that deep caries which you knew was close to the pulp but your diagnosis was that you know it was still reversible papitis at that stage. There wasn't signs of deep throbbing pain, keeping her uh, awake at night, nothing like that. Why did you not consider just removing as much caries as possible, but leaving some uh, caries over the pulp and and just restoring like that? Do you not think that perhaps dentine could have been the best insulator, the best base uh, in that case, the best lining, if you like? Oh, you're touching a really topic which I feel really strongly about it. Uh, I would like to put it in the end of the podcast, because okay. uh, we'll find out. Stay tuned until the end. We find out why George prefers to actually uh, go into the pulp in that case and do a pulpotomy, uh, which which leads us nicely to what you were just going to explain. So let's focus a bit on the pulpotomy part, because it's quite interesting. First of all, uh, basically, pulpotomy basically started more or less in traumatized tooth. And therefore, we have, there's a lot of really good literature about pulpotomy and permanent tooth. You just say there's a chipped central incisor, the pulp is exposed, and we basically know from literature, even if this young patient is running around uh, with this open tooth for a week or so, but we just need to remove two millimeters of uh, the vital pulp, and it still will work. Yeah, which is surprising because the pulp has an immune system and therefore it fights. Of course, there are probably cases where it doesn't work, but Sveck showed it in his in animal studies that it worked and even like later on with his patients, and which is interesting. And this pulpotomy has a high success rate, but let's be honest, it's all young patients, all yes. trauma teeth, no carriers. Of course, it works very good. So mm-hmm, what's... Yeah with the teeth we see in our office. And it's interesting, there's like a study from Iran, actually, that uh, they did a multi-central study with full popotomy in permanent teeth and compared it to a root canal treatment. And actually, the results were comparable. Yeah, But we have to be careful when reading the study because you can also always make studies and kind of get the same result if you don't read them well. And I've never been to university and never, of course I've been to university, I've never worked at university. (laughs) I'm really not good in literature. So it's the first time I didn't see it. But actually in this study, which was quite good, the ICT group just was rinsed with uh, sterile water. And you know, in vital cases, it probably works, but not as good as maybe a stronger disinfectant like sodium hypochlorite. So okay. the, the results are pretty much the same. So, so for, the, for the actual root canal therapy prior to the obturation for this RCT group, they chose to use sterile water in the yeah, study. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But but why we know but, but we know you know let's talk that's not even the gold standard we know that so we should be using sodium hypochlorite so why would you do that for a study that surely that's negligent yeah you could sue it uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go so far it's negligent maybe they wanted to have the RCT group to be a bit less successful but they both okay. more or less got eighty percent success and okay. which is actually eighty percent success if you just look at the vital pulp therapy group multicentric, a lot of different dentists. It's quite good, actually. When you look at the mm-hmm. molar, it's much easier to do a full pulpotomy and a molar, place some MTA and restore the tooth right away than to do a root canal treatment. But mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. have to advocate, 
if people are now saying, well, it's an alternative to an RCT, no. It's actually, it's a more predictable pub cap. I would say it's a pulpotomy, it's more predictable than a pub cap. But let's be mm -hmm. honest. A lot of people out there, and I have done the same, came from the university, done a pulp cap, and it won't went horribly wrong. That's a patient just for the pain. students, just for a student listening, young dentist, by pulp cap, just recap, direct pulp cap, indirect pulp cap, what is the difference? Just describe what kind of materials you would use in, in each scenario. Let's say you just removed an old insufficient restoration, maybe an old GIC, amalgam, whatever, and you can excellently see that there's an open pulp, yeah, that you, or maybe you nicked it. And basically, in this case, I would just like use calcium silicate cement. It could be an MTA, could be biodentin, could be whatever. And rinse it a bit with sodium hypochlorite. Uh, usually I use 2%. Some people suggest 3%. Some say I always use 5% because it's the the only thing I have to offer doesn't matter in my eyes. And basically, if it's like doesn't had a lot of symptoms before, it probably is fine. Yeah, I probably uh, there's and, even and like that's a direct pulp cap, right? That's a, a direct, direct pulp, pulp cap. cap. Yeah. And then you know what? When I trained, we were using Dical. Yeah, actually, Dical <laughs> is actually quite bad idea because of course. Yeah, <laughs> there's literature out there that uh, Dical, CareLife, self-setting calcium hydroxide products work less successful than a freshly mixed calcium hydroxide. And it's quite uh, surprising that I was taught that in university because already back then everybody should know it from literature. And basically it's better to use a freshly mixed calcium hydroxide and to place it on the pulp. Uh, if you're common with it, I basically use uh, MTA because... <laughs> Due to my endodontic background or endodontic savings, I think it's cooler, kind of. But uh, mm -hmm. if you look at the literature, they both work great. Maybe the calcium hydroxide resolves. Yeah, we see mm -hmm. the sometimes old pulp caps, but the pulp is still vital. And sometimes in this scenario with the direct pulp cap, I tend to avoid it by doing something I would call, now learn that the term exists called mini pulpotomy. Mm -hmm. Because before I come to the mini pulpotomy, because I noticed I did some pulp caps with really cool materials. Uh, uh, they're called bioceramics and everything, and they still went wrong. And I noticed that uh, sometimes, even if it's just a small pulp exposure, and it's the bleeding stops by itself, which is basically by the book, the best indication it's a good of sign. all. Mm. Yeah, it's a good sign. Mm. Actually, I now, with my experience in vital pulp tummy or pulp tummy, I rather see the pulp bleeding yeah, and rather look for it. I would just like freshen up it with a diamond burr at high speed. Just, just don't remove anything. Just touch it two, three times. See, okay, it's really bleeding. Because I noticed sometimes that there's some blood in the pulp chamber which kind of finds its way but when it stops when you open it you really don't see a lot of really nice bipulp tissue and remember that story when I come back to the decay part mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. but first I hope I don't jump around too much the indirect pulp cap Yes, I'm. I also already told you at this podcast that I like to remove all the decay. Yeah, mm. yeah. Even if there's a now a Cochrane review which basically states that I'm basically dentine barbarian who removes too much <laughs> dentine, uh, that's fine. Yeah. In uh -huh. cases where I have deep carriers, yeah, and I really thought I would expose the pulp, but I don't. Even if I removed everything, sandblasted everything, then I would do following. Still. Use sodium hypochlorite like to clean something 
Yeah, because so you're basically we, cleaning the cavity, even the though clinic. you don't have exposure. Yeah, you know, we clean the cavity because there's uh, one study from Michael Sander who basically did that. And even in an indirect pulp cup, the success rate was much better when without, Yeah, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And in my logic, it's quite logic. And then I would just place again a calcium silicate cement. And this can go pretty fast to the biodentine, just cover the dentine close to the pulp, not everything. And basically covered with a self-etching flow because I'm really lazy. I don't really like to wait for the biodentine to set. In my hands, it works very good. Some people like to wait the 12 minutes until it sets. That's fine. Some people do even do it in two visits, which is fine, and do a cutback. It's really, uh, for this indication, the material is really uh, a good choice. And that's it for indirect pulp cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let's now go to the real purpotomy part. And now the interesting part that you have someone coming to you, could be a young patient, old patient with a big decay. And of course, he has pain, maybe even at night. And I always say, of course, he has pain. I mean, if you have like Swiss cheese very close to the pulp and you feel everything, <laughs> of course, the pulp is irritated. And the question is always, how much is the pulp irritated? So, Of course, I do my pulp testing. I do an X-ray to kind of see if there's no lesion uh, on the X-ray. Although we have to kind of say if there's a huge lesion, we probably say that's a necrotic and uh, we our cold test was basically a false positive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if there's like really, really tiny one, I wouldn't give it too much of a thought, actually. Yeah, CBCT maybe? If you're in, in doubt, would you consider that? I have a CBDC. Actually, in this case, I wouldn't consider it because now I strongly believe it's a vital pop therapy now and I'm confident that I handled this. For the root canal treatment, I really like to consider it, but it's a case-by-case decision. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. in the past, I went more and more for the pro-CPTC because it gives me a lot of information I need. But for example, usually these cases, you see maybe something on one root which is like a little enlargement not a real lesion and when you uh, kind of take out your measuring tool and measure is it more than one half millimeter because if it's more one half millimeter don't cite me with that it's probably more likely to be a lesion if it's less one half millimeter it's probably not a lesion yeah Mm -hmm, but the mm -hmm. rule of thumb i heard somewhere i can't credit anyone but it was a great tip i got Mm -hmm. yeah But, you know, in this vital case, I usually would, if I would do the CBDC in these cases, I probably would expect that I don't see a lot of it. So since I wouldn't probably not do a root canal treatment, since I don't see anything, it doesn't really bring anyone a benefit. Mm -hmm. But remember just the case and everybody who's a dentist uh, knows it, this one will be endo for sure because it's such a big carriers. And I don't have to point off it's molar, premolar, whatever. You just know that feeling. And in mm-hmm. some cases, even you think about which post I'm going to place or whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting when you enter these cases, these really deep carriers we see in the dental practice, I consider my first choice of treatment is always a full popotomy. Yeah. If it's really, even if it's pain, we don't bother around with partial popotomy due to patient management reasons, actually. Because, of course, if you would be a patient and you accidentally would have like a hidden carriers nobody saw with all the technique we had, I would probably consider in your case a partial popotomy, knowing that we have a full popotomy as a second option as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because you're a patient which is a dentist and we both know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. 
But, but, but you know, one thing before you then uh, maybe continue is uh, coming on to the difference between the mini, the partial, and the full pulpotomy within the, you know, it seems like, you know, for me, the pulp chamber in a molar sometimes is very, very small. So, I mean, what is really in millimeters the difference between a, a, a and the protocol, I guess, between a mini, a partial, and a full? For me, it's just you're tickling the pulp chamber, you're going to make it bleed, and then you're going to put your MTA on top. So, um, it, it's, it's, I'm surprised that there's three classifications of nicking the pulp chamber. <laughs> Actually, there's a really interesting German PhD thesis that she even found more. But um, <laughs> let's say business, the mini pulpotomy is really easy. You just have a pulp. You just push the burst really gently on it. And, you know, it starts... How big of a burst? Because this is important. You know how they used to okay. say, like, oh, if it's like a half a millimeter exposure or et cetera. Okay. Yeah, okay. I know uh, what you mean. Basically, I have Comet Burr, which is a ball, which is a really long shaft. And basically, it's a... I think a millimeter in diameter. And I have also a burkhead, which one is always sterilized for this kind of process um, mm. because I just don't want to use the burr I just used for excavation. Uh, therefore, yes. I have a sterile kit I take out. You can argue that it probably doesn't matter, but that's a different discussion. And mm. uh, with that, I would do a mini pulpotomy and a partial pulpotomy. Yeah? And by partial, my idea is to take two millimeters away. But now it really depends in a molar, for example, from which angle do you look at, from the occlusal uh, <laughs> or from the lateral? Yeah, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. from the lateral, it's quite hard to distinguish sometimes. And uh, there's an interesting study about pulp caps, about pulp caps on the occlusal and pulp caps on the lateral. But of course, the occlusal are work better. And I would say we probably can transfer this knowledge to the pulpotomy as well. But it's harder to do a partial pulpotomy if you just nick a pulp horn. And kind mm -hmm. of remove it. And so you don't know, did I do a full pulpotomy on one root of the smaller and the partial pulpotomy of the other one? And uh, to make it short, if in doubt, go for pulpotomy. What is full pulpotomy? You just go until the root canal entries. Yeah. Like the orifice, a bit literally like the, the canal orifice. Yeah, mm -hmm. pretty much. That's the full pulpotomy. You basically take the whole pulp chamber away. Mm -hmm. And actually, it sometimes makes bleeding control quite e easier than a partial mm -hmm. pulpotomy because you just have some root canal orifices where it's bleeding and you can kind of just mm -hmm. do uh, use your sodium hypochlorite, which is my first choice. Sometimes I even use a sterilized uh, cotton a foam pellet to mm -hmm. put some gentle pressure. And uh, uh, One thing that maybe someone may not appreciate, and I'm just thinking out loud here, is if you're trying to stay within the pulp chamber and not actually damage the pulp tissue in the canals, it's fair to say that with your hypochlorite, you're definitely making sure that you're definitely staying within the pulp tissue. You're not forcing any hypochlorite into the canals. Okay. Is that an important yeah. part of the protocol? Actually, it's important that we don't put our syringe like an anodontic treatment and place it directly into the canals. But uh, actually, it's a typical question you're pointing out, Jess, because a lot of people are afraid. Will the sodium hyperlic destroy the pulp? And I'll basically just say, did you ever get sodium hyperlic on your skin? Yeah. And the question is, some say yes. Some say, what happened? Well, it burned a bit. But did it... <laughs> went through your arm no <laughs> and actually in a lower concentration that used to be in the first world war is disinfection agent for open wounds so mm -hmm. of course the sodium hypochlorite can dissolve uh, necrotic and vital tissues but that's good news it's basically doing parts of your popotomy for you but in a mm -hmm. chemical mm -hmm. way and that's why it's like uh, the best thing you have there and now mm -hmm. we have to talk about the bleeding time because that's the most obvious question that comes after that and it's really interesting when you look at 
the literature and we have now recommendations from the German Endodontic Society, from the ESE, and it's great what we have now. For example, Dominique Ricucci waits two minutes and then he goes on with his partial pulpotomy waits two minutes again until he reached the full pulpotomy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Dominique Ricocci is a really great dentist. I admire him, but he has a lot of time and patience. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what, what are you waiting for? Like, So you, you enter the pulp chamber and then you just wait two minutes to let it bleed out? Yeah, basically you place your sodium hypochlorite and wait for the bleeding to stop, basically. Actually, in the ESE paper, you are allowed to wait for five minutes. For example, you first do a partial pulpotomy, wait five minutes, the bleeding is still there. Then you do a full pulpotomy, wait five mm -hmm. minutes. And if it's still bleeding too hard, you basically go for a root canal treatment. And that's actually a recommendation, which is for every general practitioner out there, quite good. But... We have to think that it's just a recommendation. It's not a law. There's no mm -hmm. science supporting this bleeding time. And of course, there will be now someone on university and the another department who wants to kill me for that statement, but that's fine. <laughs> Actually, I love having discussion with my German endodontic department because I say and have some minor literature to prove it, that the bleeding time doesn't really matter. But that's just my science uh, opinion. Uh, but it's okay to go with that. Because I noticed that sometimes there are also other bleeding control agents out there which don't have any science on them. So I don't mention that. But if we just look at milk teeth, they basically use ferric sulfate and it works great. Yeah. Could you use ferric sulfate in a permanent molar? Yeah, probably you can. Is there science on it? No. <laughs> Pretty mm -hmm. easy. So... It basically comes to guessing. And some people are afraid that the, we are hiding some symptoms which are inside the pulp and which cause pain. But let's be honest. If the patient has, still has pain after full propotomy, you do a root canal treatment. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah? Did you lose anything? No. You have a nice pre-endodontic build act probably. Is it hard to drill through MTA? No, it's quite easy because MTA is like the underfilling under an amalgam. You really say, yes, great. It's so easy mm -hmm. to remove. It's not a tooth-colored composite or a GAC, which is Tom It's so easy to remove. So mm -hmm. go for it. But a, a real-world issue here, George, is then is fee discussing, you know, setting your fees for the patient and extra time that's going to take to then need that. And then you need to have a patient on board that, okay, we're trying this. If it doesn't work, then you need to pay for the root canal treatment. And then it just needs an additional procedure. And, and having a patient on board that, you know, had you just had the root canal treatment, you'd be out of pain. Now, it's a, it's a shame that you don't have a pulp anymore, but we've been doing it for many years. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know what you mean. Actually, at the beginning, it's quite easy. You just present two plans. One is popotomy, one is root treatment. We don't know yet what will happen. If you probably, if you have time to plan that, you say popotomy is one appointment, therefore it's just maybe half the price. And root canal treatment is two appointments, so it's double the price. It's logic. Yeah. And basically, the people are crazy always on your side if you say we try to avoid root canal treatment although i don't like it <laughs> yeah i told you that i don't like it to point it out as an alternative to root canal treatment but for example it could be a false positive so there's no pulp inside uh, inside it's just necrotic of course you have to do a root canal pretty much pretty easy yeah mm -hmm. and so for the beginning it's actually quite good to do it actually in germany we have the problem that our health insurance billing system doesn't really have this popotomy position for permanent teeth for milk teeth it has yeah, so it's kind of uh, you have to be a bit 
creative, unfortunately. <laughs> in that we, we know what that likes in the UK. We know, we know how to be creative in <laughs> yeah, our systems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, but basically, how it works. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, just because you're from the UK, Jess. So a guy from the UK said at also at the EC meeting, he waits for ten minutes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness! Okay, he must have been a private uh, endodontist, uh, not, not, not a health board. Yeah, nothing insurance based there. So that that makes sense. Uh, I mean, there's so many questions going on in my mind now. So you've described the mini popotomy. You sink the the burr through a little bit, let's say a millimeter. Partial is up to two millimeters that you go into the pulp chamber, and full is you reach the canal orifice. One thing I want to know now is how still that decision making. So what I'm hearing, I'm guess George, for you is that. Irreversible papitis. I've been awake all night in pain. I need to put a cold bottle next to my tooth to get out of pain. That classic irreversible papitis. You're suggesting to me that you will still try to assess the bleeding time and potentially go down the route of popotomy in, in this day and age, 2022, Qatar World Cup coming up. And you're saying that now you're, you've shifted away from, okay, this tooth needs RCT to actually I'm going to go for popotomy. Am I hearing you right? Yes, but there's also a little but. For okay. example, let's hear the nuances. Yeah, yeah. The nuances. For example, if you now have a businessman who will be at the World Cup in Qatar next week, <laughs> will, it's a different patient management in this case. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I would say, look, I strongly believe this will work, but it could be that the emergency dentist in Qatar says that I'm the worst dentist of the planet because I started an RCT and did not finish it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and it really depends on, for example, now I more or less don't have my own patients anymore. I rather get referrals. So it makes it a bit more complicated as well. So if, let's say, the next 14 days he's in town and would be fine if there's something, I would probably go for full popotomy. The younger they are, I tend to more say popotomy is my first and only choice because it just makes sense in my eyes. Because yep, yep. Uh, I did a lot of retreatment of teeth, broken canals, uh, broken instruments, and I know how many things can go wrong. And even I break even instruments, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's from my logic my first choice. And if you have your first patients where you're doing it, always do a full popotomy. Dentists always want to do a partial popotomy in their first case, always do a full popotomy. Just trust me. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know I talked to really cool uh, people like Nesrin Taha from Jordan who did research on it. And she even said, which is something scientific, the full popotomy tends to work clinically better than the partial one. Then why not always do a full popotomy? It's only a, like a millimeter, two millimeters extra pop tissue. Let's just go for it. Yeah, I mean, there is a partial popotomy has some advantages. And one big advantage is that you can do a call test later on to see if the tooth mm, reacts to yeah. it. With a full popotomy, you can't do a call test because the whole pole chamber is full. And that's a really drawback. But I still say for your first case, guys, remember me saying that go for a full popotomy. I know that there are people sending me x-ray, oh, I did a partial because I was afraid. Okay, do a full popotomy for you. Okay, first get, then get experience and that's fine. Um, All I'm thinking, George, is the next time your uncle, your brother, your father, your mother, your nurse, your receptionist, your neighbor has signs of irreversible hepatitis or that very deep caries that you just know it's going to be an issue, then perhaps your first full popotomy should be on this kind of patient. Yeah, and actually right now I wouldn't have any problems to do it on any family member, on any staff member uh, to do a full popotomy, yeah, because I now have the confidence. But we talk about failures as well, yeah, mm, because mm. without talking about failures, it would be very misleading, this podcast.
Yeah. Yes. And yes. basically, you can basically distinguish it between early and late failures. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how high is the possibility that the patient will be there on the next day and still have pain? I can tell you it's that the popotomy as a pain treatment works in 91%. Uh, well, as a popectomy will work at 99%. And from mm -hmm. the emergency dentist point of view, and you had that in your podcast recently, I think. Um, yes, yes, we did. Yeah, I yeah. listened Sa to Sanz Banderi, yes. Yeah, was a great <laughs> I'm one. I'm sure you would have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for this 8% more success, how much time do you spend? So uh, I can tell you that it's pretty much less likely that the patient will show up the next day and have pain. So, so the lesson there really is if your main occupation is an emergency dentist who does not have the privilege and the pleasure of following up your patients and you're delivering a service and that service is get this patient out of pain and keep them out of pain, then perhaps in your setting, in your environment, you should stick to pulpectomy. Is that a fair statement? Mm, depends how many patients are in the waiting room. <laughs> 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 I mean, actually, it's in, during the corona pandemic, Yassan Garrett even suggested from his time in Lebanon to just place a dextamethasone, uh, just do injection with dextamethasone close to the pulp, just do an infiltration, uh, that's the best word, and it will resolve the pain. Yeah. So, like intrapopal, uh, intrapopal. No, no, intrapopal, just like a regular anesthesia. Like a buccal infiltration. Yeah, uh, yeah like buccal anesthesia. infiltration. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he suggested that, that they did that uh, back when I was in Lebanon. And maybe now at the beginning of the corona crisis, everybody was afraid of the aerosols. That should be a treatment option we got considered. Yeah. So if you have really a lot of patients, you basically have to take the one with the pus coming out. He's your first choice. The other one can get injection. If you have a lot of patients, more or less no severe swellings, I would go to full popotomy with everyone and just place some temporary filling on it and it will work quite good. And of course, if we have these cases where the bleeding is so extensive from the canals, no matter what you do, it won't stop. These mm -hmm. cases, you do a pulpectomy, of course, yeah, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you can't really tell them even in emergency center that bleeding out mm -hmm. of the tooth is normal. But yeah. well, it's true, but early failure, you said, was the next day, pulpectomy, 99% out of pain pulpotomy, 91% out of pain. And then so if someone comes in with an early failure, does that then mean they now advance to stage two, which is the pulpectomy? Is, is, is that yeah, what Yeah, basically after, after full pulpotomy, it's uh, pulpectomy. It's pretty easy. Actually, mm. uh, interesting, with my failures, it's actually, I have a gender part in it. A lot of more female patients have an early failure. Yeah, which is interesting. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And usually the early failure is in the first seven days. Yeah, even like now tennis to hot drinks or still cold. After full potomy, if you feel something cold, there's something wrong, you can basically mm -hmm. say. Okay, mm -hmm. maybe there's a really recession at the palatal root and where you can kind of they get some signals of it. That could explain it. But after full potomy, they don't feel any uh, cold. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if I still feel something, it's kind of odd. Yeah. And really, I would say in the first seven days, it can happen. Yeah. Okay. Remember the 80% success from the Iran study. And I think we can relate for that very good. Uh, very good. But it's not like that every fifth patient will be uh, visit you next week and have pain. Of course, mm -hmm. we have also late failures that somehow uh, tooth get, get necrotic or the... Yeah, basically they get necrotic somehow. Well, the interesting thing here and the dilemma we have is that mm. if we start in the, you know, in the future, because look, 
uh, George, as much as we'd love for everyone to do pulpotomy, and I think this episode is going to go a long way, hopefully, to start making dentists think about this. And so that's what I love about uh, speaking to people like you, generating new ideas, new, not, I mean, not even very new, like relatively new, because we know the literature is, is now getting out there, which is amazing. And we're sharing these new protocols and ideas. But the dilemmas it poses are also um, new, which is the whole thing about customer coverage. If the patient now needs to spend an additional, I don't know, 900,000 pounds, 1,000 euros, because to be able to get to a point where the tooth potentially needs a popotomy, it's the same thing as it potentially needs popectomy. It's got a huge amalgam, a fracture. It needs cuspal coverage. And then the extra dimension of doubt that you have now is, mm, should I put a crown on? What if two years later we have to then drill through the crown and do an RCT, which is the same dilemma we have when we have deep caries, right? So this is uh, another layer of, of complexity. Yeah, but in my hands, actually the fulpotomy makes things more simple because we don't have now the guessing. Ah, uh, is there... The, was the leaving the decay okay? How was the pulp studies anyway? We don't know that, yeah? And with the portomy, we have one advantage we saw. Was it vital? Was it necrotic? Or didn't did it look well? Actually, it's really a hard. There's not a really good book about how the healthy pulp and a lot of picture of healthy and unhealthy pulps, which it really comes down to experience. And I even myself say something, um, is it, yeah? And for example, you just mentioned your staff member. I just had a staff member, opened up the uh, pulp. And there was a small moment where I said, okay, well, I could just expose the pulp a bit. I just do a mini pulpy and will be done. It will be great. But it was like, no, she had pain. I go for full potomy and I looked at the pulp and you know, you could see the pulp. It was not really bleeding very good. So I did a full potomy. It still was not bleeding very hard. I saw some bleeding and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I still went uh, for the biodentine on top, uh, placed my uh, filling, but said, okay, let's look. Yeah next seven days and you know the seven days are open uh, over she still have some symptoms on hot so i say no we have to probably do a varsity is pretty sure after seven days if if the pain is not gone after seven days it's a quite good sign Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a short distance <laughs> to the dentist mm-hmm. when she mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. at work and experience fame. So when, uh, when, the, when the next patient cancels, she's the one in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, usually the last patient of the day or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we always find a way. And therefore, when you kind of have a look at the pulp and you kind of still don't feel really comfortable, it's probably not working. And what, what does an unhealthy pulp look like? Like a, a vital but unhealthy pulp that gives you that feeling in your stomach that it's not going to work? What, for the less experienced, because look, think about it, George, if we are used to leaving less, way less experienced than you. We are used to opening up the pulp chamber with one motif, kill, kill, kill. We don't even probably look at it. We just go through the bleeding. We just stick some hypochlorite right in the canal and we you know, put the pressure inside. Uh, we don't even look, pause and see, hmm, what is the health status? What is this pulp looking like today? So you need yeah. to enlighten us. Yeah, it's very difficult to uh, tell that. And even when I look at Dominique Ricucci's studies where he did a lot of pictures of really nice pulp and say, and she says, that's unhealthy, that's healthy. I'm like, Oh, wow. Yeah. And <laughs> there are some things where you can say the color matters. If it's really pinkish and it's probably if it's uh, more brownish or leathery, let's say this one, mm-hmm. it's probably not. Very. And sometimes, I mean, you can just probe the pulp and uh, if it feels like it's one <laughs> block <laughs> or very liquid, 
it's probably not working. And even I even had one case where I did uh, wanted to do kind of some popotomy at a, a central insider and just rinsed it a bit. And suddenly the whole uh, pulp was in the vacuum, it was oh. sucked away. Uh, and I was like, okay, probably that was not a healthy pulp. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I also had the case with a young patient where uh, I had on the referral sheet root canal treatment till 30 or 2. And I looked inside and it was a healthy pulp. Apparently, the pulp kind of went away <laughs> and didn't want to be poked by the file, uh, which mm. was interesting. And so I don't have the answer for you, unfortunately. Yeah, mm-hmm. But my answer is so I like a bleeding pulp. If it's bleeding and it stops, it's a good What if it's indication. that term, hyperemic? You know, we always see mm. the, the, the patient in pain comes in and it's just flooding in blood. Is that encouraging for you as someone who's now looking at it as a pulpotomy? Yeah, let's say this way. Um, if it's really hyperemic, you probably have no chance because you would need a really strong bleeding control agent or even something where you just close your eyes, place MTA on it, cover it all. Uh, <laughs> I probably not gonna work. I wouldn't say never, but it's not that. Okay, I so it's, it's good to know it. that if it's too much bleeding, it's hyperemic. That's uh, go with your gut, and then that is yeah, an unhealthy yeah. pulp. I, I think that's why I basically like the time of the five minutes, which is basically I don't want to say it's it's in literature you have to stick to it because some people are very dogmatic about what's in the literature. It's uh, it's a recommendation without any proof, mm-hmm. and but. I like it. And I would say if it's still bleeding very hard after five minutes and you left sodium hypochlorite on it, it's probably your restorative material will not work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I also found that some MTAs work better than the other, which is interesting. And uh, since people are always asking me for products, Biodentin has the best literature from Zeptodont out there. So it's my first choice. When I have, for example, a really young kid, uh, which Whereas the bleeding, it's it's a little bitchy, yeah. Uh, that's the best way to <laughs> describe it. Um, but I still want to keep it. I uh, tam- sometimes tend to use material from Circamet. It's a Polish company, Bio MTA Plus, because it's bit better. That's a cool name, Bio yeah. MTA Plus. That's taken every single good thing in endodontics, <laughs> Bio MTA and Plus, and just that's the best product name yeah. there is in yeah. endodontics, surely. Circamet yeah. uh, is a nice company. They're not good at research, but uh, <laughs> this material uh, the real wet finger dentist of the world (laughs) basically it's uh was founded by wet finger dentists and Uh, uh. but it works good in situations where the uh, palpable bleeding is a bit bitchy there are other materials which are also uh, very interesting because ultradent just released uh, mtf flow white and the material has like an agent in the liquid which is less problematic when washing away and uh, wash away fluid so less water soluble yeah. yeah, who knows? Actually, uh, Josette Camilleri told me that uh, it's something uh, for, which is very, very common in the concrete industry, but only two people in the dental industry have it in their products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then there's also uh, products from Angelos, Re- MTA Repair HP. It's also uh, quite good. And I tell you why it's important that we have some different materials because we didn't talk about one thing, which is tooth discoloration. Mm-hmm. Because some MTAs, even the Questlicate Pro Root MTA, have some radiopaca inside, which, when it's combined with sodium hyperlin, discolors. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they have different concentration. For example, the Circamate one has also this radiopaca in there. So I would rather use it at the molar 
and tell the patient that the tooth might discolored. It won't turn black, don't worry. But it will appear more grayish. And if it's a first premolar, you'll see that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And then we also have to take in consideration that in every manual you take uh, uh, out in baridentine that they say as they only place it on basically on the non-bleeding pulp. And the reason is when even like when materials come in contact with blood, which are supposedly not discoloring, of course, if there's too much blood with this iron inside, it will discolor. Yeah, it's mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. natural. So uh, that's also a reason spend a bit more time in controlling the pulp and that's why uh, the pulpal bleeding and that's why i'm not a fan of this five minutes in that situation mm-hmm. well we have to now wrap up and talk about okay why is it that you're so anti leaving some caries where, where you can get a good bond because your peripheral seal will be good you know the seal is a deal and edwina kid so why not leave caries dentine as your base yeah i mean i'll try to make it short Basically, it's, the concept is very good, and I liked it at the beginning a lot and uh, did it uh, a lot, even with this deep carriers one. And I got failures. Failures where I would say I rather would have done a popotomy. Yeah. With this peripheral seal zone, it's a good idea, but let's be honest. Uh, if you think about it, that the sealing sounds better than it is, even like a healthy tooth. Bacteria is crossing it the whole time. It's not sealed in the way because we don't have a sterile environment in the mouth. And uh, the basically the carrier's model everyone is talking about this is maybe this flower model with if you take away the nutrition, that, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. nothing will happen. It's, it's a disease of the surface, as it's, as yeah, you said. And, and it's a simplified model. And it's really easy to understand and it's for completely okay. But you have to always say it's a simplified model. Who says that there are not some bugs in the decay who don't need sugar, they just live on purple fluid. So mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. bugs, it's really simplified now. I myself doing the same thing, but I have a friend, Tilda Maschke from the University of Münster, Germany, who can say it in a much more convenient way. <laughs> Actually, we have a German podcast on it. The seal is not the deal. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very um, good. Yeah, but he basically says, there are some bacteria who are irritating the pulp. And, you know, Falk Schwenniken, one of the advisors of the seal is the deal theory, uh, which uh, he's do, done great is uh, research says come on it's just of course the pulp is irritated it's what's the deal about it yeah but i would say clinically speaking i tried it in some cases i'd even still do it for example in cases where you have a lower mosel and really cervical dentin carriers uh, right in the distal where you know if i would do it directly i would destroy a lot of tooth in these cases mm-hmm. i would just try to push some uh, GIC inside and monitor it. And of course, there are some patients where it makes sense to use this approach, but it really also depends on your personal setting where you work in. And for example, if I have the time, if I have rubber dam magnification, of course, I can remove more and look if there's a pulp. And with the success rate of the vital pulp treatment of the pulpotomy, which is so good, I would even say... That's 80%, right? We're talking about 80%, right? 80%. Actually, 80 is, uh, if you look at the literature, it's the lowest. (laughs) And how many years are we talking? Five years, 10 years? What, What do we have? We don't have 10 years. We have five year max. That's uh, okay. a pity, basically. And that's why uh, now the Cochrane reviews favors the uh, leaving of the decay. I say it on purpose, leaving of the <laughs> decay. <laughs> yeah. And anyways, if you have, have uh, like an, a new rural area where not a lot of dentists, 
it's a good concept. Let's be honest. And the whole technique with children, really good concept. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah, but the success rate of this treatment after the Biondal study, whatever, it's not so good if you just look at the numbers. It's maybe 60%. Yeah, okay, mm. we have had really strict success criteria. If it's not reacting on the cold test anymore, we're basically said uh, that's a failure. It's really strict. But if you look at other studies, newer studies from Nessing Tal, we're in the 90 percentage area with the success rate. Yeah, and we don't this is a have vital propotomy once again. Yeah, vital propotomy, irreversible yeah, yeah. propitis, everything you want, permanent teeth. Wow. Yeah, and that's a lot. And then you basically think last Bionda had 11% success with partial propotomy. And you basically ask yourself, what did they do wrong? And it's not written in the study. Yeah, and it's not a criticism. I mean, it's a great study in the evidence, much higher than everything else. But we don't have any comparison studies. And of course, everyone in university say, "Oh, just do a randomized trial." Okay, I don't know how to do a randomized trial. I, it's kind of even like when you think about it. I would like to do a randomized trial, but I don't believe in selective carriers removal. So mm -hmm. I have should do something I'm not believing in. Guess the result. Probably it will turn out better than my vital part be. And that's something because I'm just biased. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. even with like a lot of centers, you will get basically this result. Either one is trained in the vital pulp therapy or in the selective carriers removal. And I don't mm -hmm. condemn myself, but I, for myself, from my experience with my failures mm -hmm. in vital pulpotomy and selective carriers removal, decided. I don't want to do selective carriers removal anymore. And I hope I am not, will be like the, you know, this old dance, like in the early days, <laughs> we did all this, we moved all the carriers and it works much better than your selective <laughs> approach. And, uh -huh. you know, I'm not sure about it, <laughs> uh -huh. but, uh -huh. and, uh, you know, I'm not uh, following up all my cases to really know how is my success rate and my recall rate would be really bad, but that's a problem in all dentistry. And it really depends. Now I'm basically in private office. Uh, I have time to place my Aurora treatment plan. Of course, it will work in my hands quite good. Yeah. And let's be honest, if I would believe in select carefully, these cases would all work very good as well. Yeah, so I don't like this dogmatic approach at all. There are some reasons to, to look at the pulp and see if it's vital. <laughs> Yeah, like a surgeon, like a surgeon, just kidding. Yeah, but it's nothing I, I would say do that or that. But for us in, in the practice, and I worked in a rural ways, just remember the tooth with a deep carrier and it will be ended for sure and I don't really have time. These are the good cases to start. Because you don't have anything to lose. And it's not an experience. I really hate the word experience. Sometimes you're doing experience. It's nothing new. It's probably even older than SVEC. I think even like before the first world war, some people were doing research on it and it was just forgotten knowledge. I mean, even selective carriers renewal is nothing new. There's a really mm -hmm. nice Swiss article about it from the 50s where we extracted first molar of children and kind of compared selective carous removal with full uh, carous removal and they used in the full carous removal the new material calcium hydroxide back then the MTA of that time so, 50. Mm -hmm. so it will come in waves and just to conclude it I'm not dogmatic of any way and uh, I uh, would really be happy to see some literature and I know in uh, the Falk Schwenicke group in Berlin is working on it I would say there's not a perfect study you can design to really convince everyone 
Mm -hmm. due to the bias and I mean yeah clinical dentistry is played with this issue of not having amazing evidence when you compare to you know other fields so this is what we have to accept so it's still uh, a lot to be discovered in terms of what are the best definitive uh, protocols so I very much appreciate that uh, let's not be dogmatic and it's one of my favorite things there's no place for dogmas on this podcast and I thank you very much for giving your time to discuss this you've opened my mind George because you know to, to think that irreversible pulpitis does not equal RCT anymore, does not equal pulpectomy anymore, is very fascinating. And I very much, my background in training is never expose. That's just like ingrained in me, never expose. But really, and I'm open to this, I'm open to listening to you and then finding out more, which is in, in some cases, actually, there is a place for pulpotomy in the adult tooth, which has been carious and a dubious pulpal status. So uh, I think what we've done is open everyone's mind. What do you think is the next step? Because I don't expect for intelligent dentists to listen to this one podcast episode and then just start cracking on and guessing how much MTA they need. I, I do feel that perhaps there's some training that's merited. It. Where does one get some training and some knowledge? And also one more thing, actually, is if I, I'm working with an endodontist in the practice and before I start sending him cases or, or, or advising him, you really need to have an endodontist who is on board with you, right? And I think that sort of team approach is really important to have that open line of conversation with your endodontist. Yeah. I was at the ESE. You don't find any endodontic conference from now on, probably till the next 10 years, which is not talking about vital pulpotomy. It's the hottest topic of <laughs> of this, no, I wouldn't say, of this decade for sure. Because now the AE had a position statement and the ESE. And basically, we were just waiting for 10 years data. And there's like something like a little fight between the cardiologist and the endodontist. And the cardiologist will win because they're much more. That's fine. <laughs> uh, to get your endodontist on board is a really cool idea. Janet uh, is... Basically, tell him you basically just do the root canal and he's just doing what is on the furrow sheet because that's a different topic as well. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I have an old lecture at Dentinal Tubules with Dushaw a couple of years ago. Actually, just when we started uh, talking, I thought I really have to t talk to Drew to update it because some of the things I say, I would frame them differently now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is fine. Yeah. And this is how you see how it evolves. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's training out there, but uh, most of the time people think it's so specific. Probably no one is interested. And actually, if you, if you call it popotomy of permanent teeth, every dentist understands it. It sounds something new. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just start your cases, document them, and you can do some local lectures for sure. Well, what I, I appreciate is we're not trying to make something more complex because I'm not going to name any names here, George, but mm. there are some subspecialties, let's call them, or disciplines, new disciplines of dentistry emerging, which uh, I think are trying to complicate dentistry. And they're giving new names and new acronyms to things which just already in the on the old textbooks, I think you know what I mean. Uh, and I, I like the it's, fact I that you're going... I just Fuck, man. Yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, I've got so many biomimetic friends and, and guys, like, I, I don't mean any offense, right? They're great. And you guys, I love what you do. But when did we stop calling it adhesive dentistry and just change it to biometric? I, okay. I don't know when that happens. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, what you're doing, George, is I appreciate mm. that, that you're saying that, oh, no, it's not vital pulp therapy. Why don't we call it a pulpotomy of the adult teeth? Yeah, pulpotomy of vital therapy. And one thing, 
biomedic dentists are afraid of the pulp. I don't know why, but we're afraid. <laughs> I would say that uh, it's basically due to they're based in the US. Uh, they have to refer, I think, to the endontist and they lose money on it. Uh, that's just really a simplification. <laughs> Very yeah? cynical, and, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, therefore, <laughs> they want to tend to have anything inside. And then, therefore, this concept of selective carries removal works very good for me. I'm personally, I'm not afraid of the pulp. Not at all. You don't need to be. If, if you see the pulp, just refresh it a bit. If it's bleeding too hard, remove a bit more. If it's still bleeding too hard, remove the whole pulp chamber. And when you have RCT, or you don't have the if you don't want to do RCT, just stop there after the full popotomy and place some Lidamax pellets. So your endodontist will love you for that. And the patient won't hate you because they're basically out of pain. So everything's fine. You don't need to be afraid of, of anything, of not exposing. And there's one German study where we exposed the pulp and they had really bad results. And when you look at the studies, the treatment was done by dental students. They used mm -hmm. uh, Curlef and Decal, uh, things which, which don't work. Plus, they placed a temporary filling on it, a GIC, which is regularly a good material unless you have an exposed pulp. Then mm -hmm. it will be a success after six months. And you basically can wait for the, it will be a, not a success, it will be failure after six months because mm -hmm. the bugs are going downward and they're going to love to kill the open pulp. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty easy. So you find today literature for anything, but you don't need to be afraid of the pulp. Guys, no longer are we afraid of the pulp. I certainly won't be. Uh, George, thanks so much for giving out time. Really appreciate it. Check out Sorazan. I hope I said it correctly. We'll put the link on. And again, thank you so much. And good luck to Germany at Qatar. Uh, I'll be rooting. I'm, re I'm, I'm cheering three teams. Uh, England. But today, uh, I paid five pounds to uh, in the sweepstake at work. And uh, I got I got Argentina. And I got I paid another five pounds. And I got Spain. So my three teams are England, Argentina, Spain. And if I win, I win 150 pounds. And I will wow. uh, treat the entire staff to pizza. So that's the plan. <laughs> That's a good plan. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, there we have it, guys. Look, I'm really sorry if I offended anyone towards the end. I've got some really great friends who are biometric dentists, like Herman. Herman, I know you listen to this. Thank you so much. Look, you know, I don't like to offend anyone, and I, and I really mean it a bit tongue-in-cheek. I mean it as a jest. But what we're trying to say, uh, what me and George meant, was that sometimes we need to simplify things and not complicate it. And I think what George suggested was that uh, biometric dentists are afraid of the pulp. We know that's not true. We know you're trying to preserve the pulp as much as possible, and I get it, and that's awesome. So love to all, respect to all. Let's listen to everyone, but do what feels right to you. So guys, don't just jump in and do a vital pulp therapy, aka pulpotomy. Maybe read a little bit more around the subject and, and then commit to it. But at least it's given you a reason not to be afraid of the pulp anymore. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Claim your one hour plus CPD by answering a few questions below if you're watching on Protrusive Premium. Thanks as ever for joining us today.